You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated. (laughs) Wow, it is good to see people here. I can't tell you how terrible it was preaching to a camera. Yes, it's so good to see all of y'all. That camera never laughed at my incredible humor. That camera never said amen at a real strong point in the sermon. So, man, it is so good to see all of you guys. Those who are watching uh, from home, those who are here, I bet we never take for granted again the joy of being together as, as a church. I mean, Highland is, Highland is family, and I hope it feels that way to you. It is that way. I might get choked up if I keep talking about it. So we better jump into the sermon together this morning. There was something very interesting going on in the first century church. This is after uh, the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. The first century church was having some, um, some disagreements. I know you're shocked to hear about that, a church having disagreements. They were, they were disagreeing over some peripheral things. They weren't theological things. They weren't absolute truth. It was, it was some opinions that, that different people were having within the church. And they began to see things differently. They were arguing about things. And so Paul, he steps up and he steps out. And he gives some incredible principles to these two churches in particular, on how Christians are to treat one another, how we're to act toward one another, especially if we see things differently. Let me step back and, and say this. The Bible, here's what the Bible, the Bible is. The Bible ultimately is about God's plan to redeem humanity through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible from from beginning to end is about this incredible redemptive plan that God has for you, that God has for all, that God has for creation and humanity, and it comes through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. But there's also four pillars that you find inside the Bible. You find theology, you find doctrine, you find prescriptions, and you find principles. Theology, theos, the Greek word for God. Ology, of course, is the study of. So theology in the Bible is, is who God is, his, his character, his attributes, his acts, his, the essence of his character, the very essence of his being. We also have doctrine. Doctrine, that's the, the beliefs or the structures, or the foundations of, of, of Christianity, the beliefs, the structure, the foundation of, of who Christ is, the, the foundation of, of who we are in Christ, and the foundations of even, even our salvation. Then we also see, we see these prescriptions inside of the Bible. This is very specific things that God has asked us to do. Very specific ways within the Bible, things that we are to obey. And then you have principles. Principles are kind of very broad, extrapolated uh, ways to, to daily operate in wisdom, to daily operate in, in the wisdom of, of our just daily lives. I often, Highlanders, I think you know this, we, we preach a lot on theology, a lot on doctrine, even a lot on prescriptions. Rarely do I preach principles. Well, congratulations, today I'm going to preach some principles together out of, out of God's word and, and I want us to see these things together. And here's kind of the question that we're going to find the principles in God's word. How do we biblically treat one another when we see things differently? How do we speak to one another? 
What should we post and not post on social media? How should we send emails to one another and text one another? Like, how do we treat one another within the family of faith when we see some peripheral things differently? How do we move forward together in the midst of difficult times? And how do we make wise decisions when others are involved? Now, listen, our country's not going to get this right. The church better get it right on how we treat one another, how we love one another. I think, and I was not around during this time, believe it or not, but I think probably more than any other time in American history since probably the early 1960s has the Lord given the church an incredible opportunity to shine, to serve, to treat other people with the same kind of love that God has given to us in Christ Jesus. I think the church should be setting the pace in our nation right now. Men and women who love the Lord, and because we have been loved by God, therefore we will love other people. And you may want to take notes on this. I I say this about twice a year, that this is a good enough sermon for you to take notes on. This is a good sermon today, not because the person is delivering it, nor nor all the preparation put into it. This is just an appropriate sermon at the appropriate time for us to see how we are to treat one another. So I'm going to ask seven questions that we should consider biblically on how you make a wise decision. Seven biblical principles, seven biblical questions we should be asking our own hearts before we make a decision, before we say anything, before we we act. Now, the temptation today for all of us is going to be seven biblical things that we wish other people would do. Seven biblical things we wish other people would ask before they said things. But I'm going to ask the best you can by the grace of God today for you to own these questions for your own life. Seven questions to consider biblically on how you make wise decisions when others are involved. And I bet you know this by now, others are always involved. If we can walk in biblical wisdom, Highland, I think this will steady our faith in difficult times. Let me give you the context. In the first century church, we have Jewish Christians and we have Gentile Christians. And Jewish Christians, while saved, certainly... We're having a hard time letting go of tradition, having a hard time letting go of the Old Testament, having a hard time letting go of the rituals and and, um, and, and all the, the regulations of the Old Testimony of God. Now, the Gentile Christians, they did not have all this tradition. They didn't have anything to really hold on to. And so often a Gentile Christian would do something or say something or act in a certain way. And it was, it would, the, the, the Jewish Christians were aghast. Their, their jaws would drop. I can't believe you would say that. I can't believe you would, you would do that. In particular, was meat offered to idols. So here's what would happen. A, a pagan would go into a pagan temple and would have meat with him. Maybe it was a, a leg of lamb, maybe it was a side of a cow, maybe it was a, a bird, whatever it might be. And they offered that meat before a pagan god in a pagan temple. And there was fire below this altar, so that meat would, would begin to burn. Well, once that happened, the, the pagan was done with his ritual and he would walk out. Well, those who owned the pagan temple, they would see all this meat that was a little charred, but they would take it and they would send it to market. And they'd get money for it. And so a Gentile Christian would be out in the market, would see this meat that was offered to a pagan god and would say, wow, it's, 
It's on sale. It's a little charred around the edges, but it looks like we could, we could have a barbecue tonight. And so they would, they would take that meat home, and the, the Jewish Christians were like, you can't do that. That was meat that was offered to a, to a pagan God, and you're taking that home? And so even more difficult than that was when a Gentile Christian would invite a Jewish Christian over for dinner. And halfway through the fajitas, the Jewish Christian would say, hey, by the way, where did you, where'd you get this meat? And the Gentile Christian would say, oh, I found it at market. They had used it for, you know, for, for pagan gods, and it was on sale. And so I thought I'd buy this and invite you over. I mean, awkward, right? So all of a sudden, the Jewish Christian is eating this, this meat and realizing that that meat had been offered to a pagan god, and they were looking down on the Gentile Christians for finding a bargain in the market. So that's the context. With your copy of God's Word, let's go to Romans chapter 14 together. Romans chapter 14, I encourage you to open there, to stay there. We're going to look at two passages, two churches this morning that had some divisions over, again, peripheral things. Romans chapter 14, let's begin in verse 1 together. Let's read a pretty good portion of this, then we'll ask our first question to consider biblically on how to make a wise decision when others are involved. Romans chapter 14, let me begin in verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Again, this isn't a quarrel over doctrine. This isn't a quarrel over absolute truths. Don't bring someone over and just quarrel over your opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master. Now, as Christians, this is speaking of the Lord. It is before his own master, Jesus, that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand, whether he abstains or whether he eats. Now, before I read verse 5, let me tell you, there's also an argument, because Christians can't argue over just one thing. There's two things. The, the Jewish Christians, of course, were still seeing Saturday as the Sabbath. The Gentile Christians were seeing Sunday as the Sabbath. And so Paul now says one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, he abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. Now, Highland, verse 7 is so important. For none of us lives to himself. This week, with a red pen, you can check my Bible afterwards, I underlined every one of those words individually. For none of us lives to himself. In other words, no one's an island. In the Christian community, Highland, we do not live in a vacuum. There is no one here that lives just to himself or just lives to herself. And then Paul says that none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, this is another very key phrase. I also underlined this because I had a lot of time to do that this week. I underlined all these words. We are the Lord's. Huge. We are the Lord's. For to this end, to what end? Serving one another and realizing we belong to God. Christ died and lived again that we, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of 
the living. Here's the first question you might want to write down, maybe even in the back of your Bible. How do we treat other people when they think differently about opinions and peripheral things, non-doctrinal things? Before we make a decision, before we say anything, before we act, what should we consider? Here's the first question. Am I doing this unto the Lord? Before we post that post on social media, am I doing this unto the Lord? Before in my aggravation, I want to say something to somebody. Am I doing this unto the Lord? Now, how can we say that? Because of verse 8, the very end. Again, we are the Lord's. So if I can't say anything or I can't do something that is unto the Lord, I should not say it. I should not do it. It'd be wrong for me to do something that was not unto the Lord. If I can't make a decision that is unto the Lord, I should not make that decision. I should not step out in that. Too often we consider what is it like unto me? We view our decisions so often on what does it mean to me? How does it benefit me? Or we ask the question unto others. I'm looking for the approval of others. I want to know what he's going to say. They're going to say. She's going to say. But we are. Here it is again. If you, if you fall asleep in a few moments, I'm okay with that because you heard this portion of it. We are the Lord's. And before you make a decision, before you say something you want to say, before you want to do something that you want to do, you need to ask this biblically wise question. Am I doing this unto the Lord? That's the first of the grid through which we should drop every decision. Am I doing this for me, for my glory, for my honor? Am I doing it for someone else, for for their glory? Or am I doing this, saying this, making this decision as unto the Lord Himself, for we are the Lord's. Here's the second thing I want you to see. It's in verse 10. So why do you pass judgment on your brother? And then Paul even goes deeper than that. Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, and Paul is going to go back to Isaiah. He's also going to write this later on to the church at Philippi. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess to God. So then... And to underline these words also, in case you wanted to know, here's the words I underlined. Each of us will give an account. Each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Here's the second question I think we should ask our own hearts before we make a decision, before we step out and do something, before we step out and say something. Here it is. Should I say this or do this, knowing all my words and actions will be judged by Jesus one day? Shall I say this? Shall I do this? Knowing that every word I say, all my actions will be judged by Jesus one day. We all stand before God. This is what it says in verse verse 12. Each of us, believer and non-believer, will stand one day before God. Now this is, this is in, in Greek, the, the Bema seat. Actually in Greek it's, it's Bema, but we're from Texas. We call it the Bema seat. The Bema seat it, really, the word bema in, in Greek means to elevate or to, to, to raise up. It's a reminder that one day we will stand before a judge who is lifted up, a judge who is not like us. And we'll stand before him and have to give an account of our, of our lives. Now, when a Christian stands before the bema seat, stands before this judgment seat of Christ, as it says right here in your Bible, what are we held to account? What, what, what do we have to give an accounting for? Well, here's great news, Christian, not our sin. Praise God. 
That was nailed to the cross. We, we bear it no more. So what do we give an account to on that day? Listen, our words and our deeds. Paul will say later on to the church of Corinth, the deeds that we did while in this body. In other words, our words and our works. What we said, what we did. We will be held accountable before the Lord for everything we said. That makes me want to stop talking from right now till heaven. I already feel like there's a lot of things accrued up that I'm going to have to give an account for one day. I mean, have, have you ever stood before a judge before? Have you been in, been in court? Wow, just me. You chose the wrong person to be the pastor of this congregation. Okay, maybe some of you later on will tell me, I, I've stood before a judge before. When I've stood before a judge, my knees knocked. And my mouth got dry. And when that judge asked me a question and I needed to answer it in the affirmative, you know what I said? Yes, your honor. Or no, your honor. It was honestly, even in a human scale, a little terrifying to stand before a judge. Now take that temporal picture and put it into the spiritual. Can you imagine that one day, because it is true, every one of us will stand before almighty Jesus, the king. And I just want you to know, you will give an account for your life, not your sin, but your words and your actions. You'll need to defend the words you said. I'll need to defend the words I said. You'll need to defend, I'll need to defend our actions. The deeds while done in this body. We'll be granted access. So if that makes you nervous, like, man, I have said way too many things. If you're in Christ, heaven is promised, but we'll still have to stand before the judge. And he's going to rightly remind us of everything of which we must be held accountable. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Here's the third thing. You can write this down. This is just a biblical principle before you make any decision, brothers and sisters. Here it is. Am I considering my weaker brother and sister in all that I do? Is my weaker brother or my weaker sister even on my radar when I'm making decisions? Am I considering those who are, who are um, not as mature in the faith? You see, the weaker brother or the weaker sister is the one who is still growing in their faith. Their, their conscience isn't completely informed yet by the word of God. So they are, they are weaker in the faith. Probably often they're, they're younger in the faith. And in this situation, kind of interestingly enough, because Paul is a Jew, it's the Jewish Christians who are the weaker brother, the weaker sisters in this, in this chapter. And in the chapter we'll look at in just a little bit. Because they thought that God forbade things that weren't forbidden i.e. The, the meat offered up there in the pagan temple. And so the, the stronger brother or sister, they, they know what God's word teaches, and yet they refuse, even in their strength, to make the weaker brother stumble or the weaker sister stumble. Let's, let's read this. It's verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. But rather, here's what we need to do, mature believers. Decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Interestingly enough, stumbling block in Greek is something that is small. A hindrance is something that is big. So Paul is saying, whether you think it's a small thing or whether you think it's a big thing, we should put nothing in the way of a younger or a weaker brother, a younger or a weaker sister. Now, Paul says, I know, I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean unto itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. I underline that also in my Bible. 
Because friend, that's the goal, is to walk in love. Not, not these small disagreements, not these opinions that we might have about something, but we are to walk in love. That is maturity. By, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Paul gets very serious here. By you making this choice of what you want to eat, don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. I love this. But the kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Spirit. And whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, what should we pursue? Let us pursue what makes for peace. Let us chase down that which is for the mutual upbuilding. Or your Bible might say here that the mutual building up. So do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or even drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Probably one of the greatest things, just hear my heart on this island, one of the greatest things we can do for our nation today, one of the greatest things that we can do for our city, one of the greatest things that you can do for your friendships, one of the greatest things you can do for your marriage, for your family, is to grow up spiritually. To grow up, to grow into Christ who is the head of the church. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15. That we should know God's word. This is what it looks like to be the stronger brother, to be the stronger sister, to, to grow into God's word, to be informed by God's word. This is how we steady our faith, to, to study God's word, to know God's word, to obey God's word, to apply God's word to our life. You see, if we were all the stronger brothers, men, if we were all the stronger sisters, ladies, I think our nation would be a different place. We would be at a better place if the aim for every Christian was not to be the weaker brother nor the weaker sister, but the aim for every believer is to be the stronger brother the stronger sister, to grow up in our faith. And I'll say it again, Ephesians 4.15, to grow into all things to the head who is Christ. So the stronger, listen, the stronger brother, the stronger sister limits their freedom, limits their own rights for the sake of encouraging the weaker. That, Highland, is spiritual maturity. When you rein in your rights, so that you're not causing someone younger in the faith to stumble. So, so wait a minute, preacher, you're saying, I need to limit my freedoms, my spiritual freedoms? I need to limit my spiritual rights because someone else can't handle it? Yes. Verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Now, that's really confusing to evangelicals. That is not a saving faith. That is a, in fact, your Bible might translate a little bit better. It's the word conviction. Like something that you, you truly believe strongly, this, this conviction that you have. This isn't the faith into salvation. This is a conviction, a conviction that you have. Just go and keep that between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but Whoever has doubts, if you don't have convictions, you're condemned if you eat. 
because the eating is not from faith. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Here's probably the best way to articulate that in a biblical question of wisdom. Here it is. Is this both right and faithful to do? Before I make this decision, before I fire off this email, before I react to somebody, before I respond to something, for you to ask your heart this question, is this both right and faithful to do? And am I sure that it's right? Am I sure that this is faithful? Because if you're not sure about it, then you're not confident in your convictions, then don't do it. Don't say it, don't post it, don't make that decision. If I'm not convinced it's right, if I'm not convinced it's faithful, it's best not to do it, best not to say it, best not to move forward in that decision. This is what Paul was saying to the church of Rome. You won't be surprised. There's another church that was also having divisions over the exact same thing. Meat offered to idols. It's the church of Corinth. So if you don't mind, with your Bible open right now, go like five pages over to the right. You're so close to it. Maybe six. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 with me. Let's extrapolate some other principles on how we treat one another when there's some differences. How we make decisions when others are involved and others are always involved. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse 23 with me. Paul writes, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. If some of you grew up in church, like I grew up in church, I bet you learned it this way. All things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. If my mom didn't say that to me 10 times, she said it to me a thousand times. Like probably a few weeks ago, she said that to me. Hey, all, all things are permissible, John. Not all things are profitable. In other words, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, Paul says, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So if you fell asleep in the first part, wake up because this is, this is important. Let no one seek his own good. We exist almost daily for our own good. Paul turns us upside down. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. I think racism would be decapitated if believers lived like this. I'm not just out for my advantage. I'm not just out for my name. I'm not just out for my good. But I'm living for the good of others. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So here's the fifth thing that you might want to write down somewhere to consider as you make a decision this week. Are my decisions both helpful and good for others? And that's a great starting place before you say anything, before you make a decision on anything, before you act on anything. Are my decisions both helpful and good for others? How much stronger would our nation be, our cities be, our marriages be, our homes be, our families be, our friendships be if we lived by this? Are my words, are my decisions helpful and good for others? Here's the sixth thing. Look at verse 25. So eat. Paul just goes to the heart of it. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, if one of the unbelievers, a non-believer in Christ invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, you want to go, then eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. And I do not mean your conscience, but, but his. 
For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience if I partake with thankfulness? Why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? I know that almost sounds like a riddle when you read it. I think this is what Paul is saying. You go to look at a principle, something we can pull out from this. Here's the sixth question. Am I taking a gift from God and cheapening it? Am I taking something that God has given me, an opportunity that God has given me, a blessing that God has given me, and I'm just cheapening it? Am I taking something that God has given me? In this passage, specifically, it's food or fellowship or an opportunity to share the gospel or friendship or even family. Am I, am I taking that blessing and instead of accepting that blessing, am I arguing about it? Am I trying to one-up the other person? Do I always have to be the winner and I'm all, I'm all prideful about it? And in doing so, I'm just cheapening the gifts that God has given. That's what this passage is about. Let's step up to another level. What other gift does God give us that we have cheapened? Grace, the cross, forgiveness, the blood of Jesus. When we live in constant disobedience as daughters and sons of God, we're just cheapening the grace that God has given us through the Son. If we don't daily remember the price of our salvation, the blood spilt to purchase every believer here. We've cheapened the cross. I think maybe what Paul is saying is don't cheapen one another and don't cheapen the grace of God. It's a gift that the Lord has given us. Here's the seventh and last thing. We're gonna find it in verse 31. So whatever you eat or drink, that's pretty mundane, or whatever else you do, wow, that's everything else. Do all to the glory of God. Listen to what Paul says here. Give no offense to Jews and give no offense to the Greeks. Give no offense to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, I'm not seeking my own advantage, but that of many. I'm seeking the advantage of others that they might be saved. Here's the seventh question I think we need to always ask ourselves before we say or do anything. Make a decision about anything, even though it may seem mundane. Here's the last question. Am I doing this for the glory of God? Even in the daily things, our aim should be the glory of God, that all light would shine on him. We are really good at shining light on ourselves. And Paul says, I'm not offending the Jew. I'm not gonna offend the Gentile. I'm not, with my words, gonna offend the church. And, and even earlier by this invitation by the non-believer to come and eat, Paul's also saying, I'm not trying to offend the, the non-believer. Well, that's a lot of people to consider. I think it's everybody. Jew, Gentile, Christian, non-Christian, that covers the whole world. And we have to consider others. If what I want, what I want to do, what I want to say does not reflect the weightiness of the glory of God, I shouldn't say it. I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't move forward in that decision. Is my life a constant reminder to all that Christ is alive in this world and in my life? You see how if we can answer that question correctly, am I doing this for the glory of God? We will step up together to the higher ground, to an elevated place where our faith is steadied. So let me wrap it up with this last statement here. 
And I purposely put this in first person so that you would own it. I put it in first person so that I would own it. A perfect way to steady my faith during difficult days is to live in the wisdom of God in all that I do and in all that I say. A perfect way to steady my faith. And so this isn't about anybody seated around you or that person you really wish was here today. This is for you to own. A perfect way to steady my faith during difficult days is to live in the wisdom of God in all that I say, in all that I do. Those seven questions, sisters and brothers, lead us to a faith that is strong and steady. We consider the younger brother, we consider the younger sister, but the aim is to be the mature one, the one who's grown up. The aim, ladies, is to be the stronger sister. The aim, brothers, is to be the stronger brother. Would you stand with me, please, and let's pray together. Oh, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. How good, how pleasant it is to be with the family of Highland today. God, we want to grow up. It's time for the church, capital C, in our nation and around the world just to grow up spiritually. And God, you've given us some incredible things from your word today to consider as we mature in our faith this week. God, we don't want to do anything unless it's helpful for others, unless it's good for others. We want our words and our actions, God, to be unto the Lord. God, put on our radar those who are less mature in the faith, who are still growing in their faith, who are new to the faith. We will gladly limit our spiritual freedom in order for our weaker sister, our weaker brother to grow. God, there's nothing else I remember from this day or any of us remember from this day is that singular question, am I doing this for the glory of God? So Father, during this time, we, just, we give you our lives. We give you our words. We give you our decisions. We give you our hearts. May our very lives today laid before you be a truly reasonable act of our worship. God, in everything that we do, we desire for the name of Christ to be put up in lights in Waco and the world. It's through that name that we have been in your word together. It's through that name that we have prayed together. And now it's through that name we sing together. Amen.